Hello and welcome to another edition of Turn Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved in punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, it's, it's kind of like a part two, kind of a part three, kind of a sit down, just gab fest with one of my favorite people in the whole world, uh, my older brother from a different mother, Chris Callahan, uh, the, the one thing that still holds true, lead singer of cursed of the swarm of left for dead of burning love now the sect he is a legend a southern ontario legend and one of my favorite people on earth and now if you can imagine it'll be more of that in a second but first if you want to get in touch with me head over to damienabraham.com there's an email address there you can find me on various forms of social media at left for damien if you use facebook and want to get in touch with me you can send a message and the Facebook page is run by my brother and show producer, Tristan Abraham. He just had a new baby, so wish him congratulations on his beautiful, beautiful baby. My my, my little baby niece, Hazel. Hazel, uh, you're incredible. Tristan, you're incredible. Thanks for doing this podcast while I'm away. Sorry this thing is late, everyone, too, I should add, because uh, it's been a, been a hectic week. Here I am in Philadelphia in a hotel room. Uh, I'm going to be going to the Democratic Republic of Congo in two days, I'm here to do some death match. I'm going to see Dave Christ. Uh, last week's guest, Dave Christ, is going to be wrestling tonight. So I haven't seen him wrestle in America in a while. So pretty excited for that. Going to see some death match. <laughs> Feeling a little uh, nauseous to my stomach about seeing that. You know, no disrespect to death match wrestlers. Obviously, Jeff Cannonball is a, a big friend of the show, one of my favorite people out there. But I don't know. Every time I go and see a death match wrestling tournament, it kind of like. It kind of reminds me of when I, just before I go and see something like really, really, really scary and violent. Like when I used to go and see a really scary, violent movie where I'm like, I enjoy this, but why? Why do I enjoy this? And then you begin questioning, oh, maybe I shouldn't go to this, but I have to go to this because this is my job. So I'm going to go and see Danny Havoc have his last match tonight. Not to be confused with Jimmy Havoc. There's a lot of Havocs in wrestling. A lot of Havocs in deathmatch wrestling alone, but there's a lot of Havocs in wrestling, period. Davey Havoc from Amphi has had a huge impact on the world of wrestling, let me tell you. But anyway, I'm in Philadelphia. I had some uh, Santucci's last night pizza for dinner, and I'm just sitting here, you know, trying to get this podcast out to you. And it's going to be kind of crazy for the next few weeks, but thankfully, show producer Tristan Abraham is here to help. Also, this show would not be possible at this point at all, if not for the help of the good people at Vans. Thank you, everyone, for, uh, you know, uh, I don't even thank everyone. Thank you, Vans, for supporting this show. Thank you, everyone at Vans, for supporting this show. Uh, Vans has come on board and let me do what I want with this podcast. Keep booking the guests I want to book. And, uh, yeah, that's it. I don't have to ask you to fill out a survey. Don't have to ask you to, to, you know, go out there and order stuff online for them or anything. No, you just, you know, if you like Vans shoes... Grab them, um, and uh, because they like this podcast and they support this podcast, and so I got to thank Vans, House of Vans. Uh, they supported me and my band for a long time too. So, Vans, thank you for uh, keeping this thing going um, because right now it is crazy, crazy. Just got from back from Japan, uh, and now I'm heading off. I was hoping to have a chance to do a lot more podcasts while I was home. I had a chance to do a few. And I've got a bunch more coming back when I coming up when I get back from the Congo in a couple weeks. Um, but I've got I think I've got enough to hold you over till I get back from the Congo, and then I've got a huge huge fall coming too. 
and uh, I wanted to make sure I got good stuff before I went away, and I wanted to make sure I got some part twos, and that's what we're going to start off today. Today, we are going to listen to Chris Callahan. Now, Chris Callahan was episode 16, way back when, when the show first started. Uh, Chris is someone that, as I said off the top, like I look at it as being kind of like an older brother figure. This is a world, music is a world, entertainment is a world, where you can't put a lot of faith and trust in your heroes just because they will let you down. And I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm sure I've let people down <laughs> over my career. I can honestly tell you that Chris Callahan might have made some choices that I would not have made musically. He might have uh, played in bands that I didn't like at the time, but he has never let me down. He has never, ever let me down. That guy is, as I said, the one thing that holds true. You know, he still believes in all the politics he always believed in, and he has never been an asshole. And you can ask any kid who's come up and entered the scene who the first sort of quote-unquote punk rock celebrity or, or hardcore hero or whatever that was cool and nice to them and just real with them in Toronto, it would be Chris Callahan. Chris Callahan was was the coolest and is still the coolest. And so to get to sit down with my friend for a third time, because he did do that live in Kingston kind of pop-up show, but we didn't really get to anything, you know, Chris Callahan related, but to get down and sit down with him for a second time and kind of force him to, <laughs> to hear me philosophize about his career and about his bands. Uh, it's something I love to do. And I'm really, really happy I got to go and do it uh, and get to see Bianca, his partner and, you know, watching him go from this, guy that I looked up to, I still look up to, and is a musical hero of mine, and he's now transitioned, and he's got this whole uh, vegan food empire that's starting out, but he's doing it like in a DIY punk kind of way, so that's the thing about Chris, he is DIY punk to his very core, so I'm not going to yammer on anymore, I've got lots of stuff to do before I go, <laughs> go to this deathmatch thing tonight, and then I've got a lot of stuff to do before I go to the Congo. So I'm going to let you sit back, relax, and enjoy Chris Callahan on Turned Out a Punk. I give you records. Did I give you records last time? You gave me the LP last time. Oh, okay. Do you have other things or just the LP? That's it. I have tape versions, but the Southern Lord one's almost done. Almost ready to come out. Really? Yeah. Look at that. You and Southern Lord. Yeah, well, Burning Love was. I know. I know. Mm -hmm. That's what I'm saying. Like, you've got this relationship now with... With the dude from Brotherhood. Greg, and he's still all about it. He just sent me a Brotherhood reissue. I know, it's cool. The reissue turned out really awesome. I'm pissed off. <clears throat> it's going to sound like real sour grapes and petty, but I'm pissed off that Nate from Foo Fighters didn't mention me in the liner notes because he mentioned some other guy bringing up Brotherhood to him one time when he was recording. He's like, it was just so rare that someone would bring up that band to me at that oh, point. No. I'm like, motherfucker, you, I remember bringing it up to you first, and oh. you were like, you're the first guy to bring that up to me. Shit. But anyway... Yeah. No, I like that about Greg. He's like, he's still, even as an engine kid, was that his? Yep. He's not like too cool for the shit he did. He likes, he looks back fondly and, on all uh, of that, right? And Nemedy 2 he was in too. Amenity? Yeah, he was in really? Amenity 2. Is that like Abolition? Uh, yeah, but I don't know if he was in the, like they were on Vinyl Communication. Yeah. And they were on, I forget what other label, but yeah, they, were they in Abolition? I'm just thinking about it because it's the same time and place. Yeah, but I think he was, he definitely was in the last, couple lineups of that band mm -hmm. and he was in some other because he moved to san diego at some point from portland from uh seattle yeah and uh yeah no i love that about him he's in like the king fucking stoner band of all time with son but he uh he doesn't disown his i mean it's all part of the same 
subculture. And it's true. They're different ends of the same pit, right? That's why you've got like Power Trip and Boris on the same label. Like it really is one big thing. Yeah. He, uh, (laughs) one time we played a show and it was with like some Sun Psy project. I forget with who, with someone really interesting. Um, and oh, Julian Temple or Julian Cope. Sorry, Mm, Julian mm -hmm. Cope. And they were doing some, they did a record together. Yeah. And so, uh, someone's like, oh, that's the guy from Sun. So I go up and I'm like, yo, you know, I just wanted to talk to you about Brotherhood. Like, just power talk I'm about Brotherhood for like going like a four minute monologue. Wow. And then he's like, that's awesome. I dig them too. But that's the other dude from Sun. Oh, like Stephen O'Malley. Oh, no. He was nice, man, when I met him. <laughs> yeah, he was pretty cool. Like, he was really cool about it considering that was like a mortifying att- incident. Attila. Attila, was that his band? No, Mayhem. The mayhem, the mayhem thing that he did, was yeah. with them and singing. Yeah, yeah. It was really nice too. They were, they were facing a bunch of bullshit the next night in Montreal, like protests about Attila being part, because the mayhem and the drummers racist shit. Oh, is that it? Because like the drummer, I, like obviously the the dude from Burzum was in Mayhem, but I noticed recently you can't sell Mayhem records on Discogs anymore. Oh, are they classified as, as like a white power band? And I'm like, were they like? One of those bands? I'm like, I'm not enough of a. It's such a gray area, and those people, it's sort of like Jim Goad. Like, you couldn't really defend it because the guy's trying to be outrageous in exactly that offensive way. So, when a generation comes around to totally be against that, you can't, you don't have a leg to stand on. You're like, no, no, like, you really need to read the Redneck Manifesto. (laughs) Yeah, you can't. Just just give it a shot. There's nothing but offensive stuff in there. Yeah, you can't do that thing about the if AIDS don't get you, the warheads will, and try to, like, over. No over-intellectualize it in retrospect like dude just say you were like 19 and (laughs) it was new york and (laughs) don't well what we meant by this statement you didn't mean shit but that's been going on since it was happening too right like mr versus them well not even that but even just like people retroactively you know adjusting the meaning of lyrics uh, like Chain, chain of strength reunion what it was it was just about hanging out with your friends. Or like the no. Donahue no, episode when you're watching that and they're like breaking down lyrics to songs. They're like, well, actually what this song's about is actually not that at all. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that's what punk and hardcore's about is is saying outlandish things and then having to backpedal yeah. on them. Yeah. <laughs> Are you going? Yeah, I'm going. Okay, good. I was going to say something. I will not. Off the record for later. I got a, I got a juicy one for you. <laughs> I got a juicy one. All right. We are going. Yeah, we're going. I was like, we should just roll into it. Roll. Because this is Let's like one of these rare, legit part twos. Like, we had a part two before, mm-hmm. but that really, we ended up just talking about media and, and BSing and having a good time on the Kingston episode. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So now this is our legit part two, so we yeah. can actually pick up Kind Talk of where about we left off. Important shit. Me. Yeah, exactly. And the Get great things I've done in my life. <laughs> <laughs> but it's funny because, like, Lauren and I were driving down the street the other day, and I've had this realization before this point, but we're driving down the street and there's just like this guy uh, doing some sort of buns, I'm sure trade meetup type thing, uh, with another guy on the street. And they're, I think both of them were wearing cur shirts. Definitely one was wearing cur shirt. But it was just like this moment where I'm like, to me, you're like obviously on this, like, Music, music, like only musical, Chris. Only musical pedestal. Okay, good. Where, only musical. Keep it on that one pedestal, uh, maybe. But but for like all these bands that kind of came before this second, you know, or third, fourth act that you had, where Curse is like arguably the biggest band you've ever been in, and I was just like almost too close to it happening to appreciate that until more recent times, where I'm like, oh yeah, like that's like people don't even know you from. Left for Dead or The Swarm. <laughs> or the 10 years since yeah. Cursed. <laughs> but no, but even like the 10 years, like, you know, Burning Love's done other stuff too. And like yeah. Burning Love, it's like, you know, you see people in Burning Love shirts and like Burning Love stands on. And that's the thing we talked about this last episode. 
you're like one of these guys that's, you know, it's not like you try and ride on the coattails of your last project. You kind of have to build it up from... I, I perpetually am ready to burn something down and start again wherever yeah. you're at. When something is, like, exhausted its own point, I, I don't know. I guess it's like a serial... No, I can't say monogamy because sometimes I'm in a bunch of bands at the same time, but it's more like one, I guess, body of work that spans over... I just try to do my thing with continuity, but yeah, I never plan the way something is going to go. Or well, yeah. Gonna but but uh, I've locked into being in bands that were, like, either behind or ahead of... No, I want to say ahead of their time, but, like, no one... When we were making Cursed... There's people that liked it, but it was most of our lifespan was playing to a really small bunch of kids waiting for whatever band we were on tour with. And also, I think, you know, like, you know, and I say this as someone who didn't even get cursed. In the, I got in the beginning and then I was like, no, I'm over it, you know, and then now I like go back and I listen to those records and I'm right. like, they're fucking amazing. You were dealing with like a lot of resentment in Toronto at that time. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know <laughs> I was like, aware. It was like, just like not, you know, it was like a, a weird time for Toronto in general. I know. You know, and like there was, and that was the era that was circa like kind of posy numbers type world. That was we didn't really yeah. fit anywhere into that. Yeah, yeah. moment of hardcore. No, like you fit a much better into the world of hardcore that you kind of guess helped usher in, which is the era now. Like a curse now would have no problem kind of right. finding their space. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and but it's it's funny like uh, you know like and, and you know I say this as a band that didn't fit in either, but it's amazing how the bands that don't fit in are the ones that end up standing out yeah. years later. And it's like, when you go back, you can't remember the millions of generic bands. Right. It was the band that didn't, that doesn't didn't. really work. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure there's some yeah. exceptions that we could think of from Toronto. Like, you know, definitely some Toronto exceptions that I could want to say on the record. <laughs> this is a diplomatic nightmare. Man. Yeah. yeah. But there also something like, like Teen Crud that sticks out. That yeah, was not, wasn't like anything around but it. I mean, they're good. But I was thinking of some bad bands oh. that like, you know, the style is not appreciated. Yeah. Like, and no one liked them back then either. But right. yeah, no, Teen Crud's a great example. Like, they're a band that... Um, that like misfit kind of people doing their own thing, usually to very little... Yeah, like Teen Crud eventually, though, it was funny who they found their audience with, and it was like kind of like the proto-hipster, proto-indie yeah. rock crowd. It wasn't the punk kids in Toronto and the hardcore kids. Yeah. Like, obviously, we liked them, you know, like, you liked them, you know, but, like, it was more like the hipster people in Toronto that got really in, on board. Mm -hmm. But I guess that was the era of, like, Earth Crisis and, and pop punk and, like... You know, yeah. well, that's all. That's not always a matter of what you're doing, but like what you're doing in relation to the moment, right? Like, yeah. Left for Dead was doing that, and that wasn't really, except for something like the H100s. That was a moment of like super kind of moshy, more still early '90s hardcore was ringing out. Yeah, Left for Dead would have fit in really well when you were doing the Cursed. Yeah, like, that would totally. Have been the band and Cursed would have fit in ten years later. Now, <laughs> yeah, Burning Love you just had a good time. Yeah, and Burning Love like was a result of just like trying something new with a bunch of people that were a bunch younger. And putting our, like, frames of reference together to see, like, how we could make it work out. But the same we got with that band. Like, we got really great with playing with each other. Everything got really polished and and awesome by the end. If it was the end. I think it might have been the end. We're not sure yet. Um, <laughs> but then it was like, man, I don't think kids want to hear, like, 
70s rock riffs with hardcore. And now I look at bands like Sheer Mag, and I'm like, no, they totally do want that. I think they might just want it from people under 40. Uh, they might want all these things from people they can relate to. And yeah. that totally makes sense too, right? Yeah. But yeah. at the end, it's totally the most cliche thing, but you have to make music that you want to hear yourself making. Well, hey, actually, you, got, you got mail. Bro. I know, and I forgot to turn off my Wi-Fi after yeah. we, we listened back to the old podcast. Yeah. Sorry about that. No, you got to make music you're happy with making and not not look up much. That's my system. Like, I don't... Like, with Sect, it just kind of clicked somewhere while we were fucking in the middle of a flight. I think when we landed and the world was like, oh, we get Sect now. And then all the shows <laughs> were, like, suddenly amazing. We're like, cool. But, but either way, you got to do your shit and know what you're what you're getting out of it. Well, that, and I think the sect also, it's like, that's like, you know, not that, you know, the Swarm weren't Southern, wasn't a Southern Ontario supergroup, but like the sect is like a supergroup as far as like the punk world goes. But do you think the Chris Callahan on stage with Left 4 Dead and Propagandi hmm. would be down, would like, what do you think that would be? I never okay the, with sect with sect like looking like you're ahead. in a band with a dude from Earth Crisis, which yeah. I'm not saying. And also, you guys are the things that hold true when it comes to being straight edge well, and dude, vegan. Yeah, and the final analysis: a, I've got the atheist from Earth Crisis, but mm-hmm. no, but all those dudes are. I mean, I, I get to see them and talk to those guys now more than I ever did before. So yeah. it's interesting. But um, yeah, what matters to me is like I don't have a, a game plan for what I'm going to do, but I'm not going to at. I'm turning fucking 43 in a couple months, you know? Like, I'm not going looking for reasons not to do the next cool thing. Now, I don't plan it, but if it comes my way and it's a bunch of people that are really decent from my generation that already understand each other, like, that's one thing I haven't had since Left for Dead is people my own actual age. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. know, like, literally my age. Mm-hmm. Um, and time frame that none of us have to explain ourselves to each other. And, yeah, great. So if that's who's left, you know what I mean? You work with what's left. And that's like, that came to me and I'll, it, I love it. As you get older too, I find like the island that you're standing on gets smaller and people that used to be standing on other sides of the island end up standing beside each other. Yeah. And realize what they had in common more yeah. than what they would ever squabble about a long time yeah. ago. We just did that tour with Race Trader. Yeah. Right. How was that? It was amazing. It was the best. And those dudes were great because we were in a van for like a, an entire tour and got to like talk but it's exactly like we're saying like what dumb shit we bickered about in a club for one day 20 years ago what matters more that or the fact that like neo-fascist fucking reality is happening and we're all doing our thing now with more purpose than there ever fucking was before like put anything aside and see what you can really work with together it's funny too that you and roadied for Race Trader. Did he? Yeah, I remember yeah. he went on a tour roading for Race Trader. Mm-hmm. And he also was like tight with you guys too. So yeah. that's like. All those things were only ever like a step, a degree of separation yeah. away from each other. Yeah. You know, like we never were on opposite sides, at least speaking for myself, um, we were never on opposite sides of the issues. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was just, I think, people's approach. It was kind of like being young and. I think we said this last time, but just dogma and what it does to people. Like, you don't really know how thick to lay it on. And aesthetics. Yeah. You know, like, if it was, like, if it didn't fit, you know, like, aesthetics mattered so much. Like, you know, if it didn't fit this, like, super narrow, like, paradigm of prison, what punk should be or hardcore right. should be, it, it didn't, didn't matter. Or you had to be enemies about it. Yeah. Yeah. No, there wasn't a thing that didn't make sense about touring with those guys, and they were great to spend time with. Well, we got to get back into the real history, though, because when we left, we were just breaking up Left for Dead. Oh, man. Okay. And, uh, so we're in 90, going back to 97? 97, I guess, right? 
I think the about Ignite that. show was the last. Yeah, Montreal. Oh, uh, there was one at the Corktown Tavern that I think might have been the last. Last was it like that was like a different lineup at that point, right? By then, uh, well, Joel Fisher, Christian, me, Curtis. Was Curtis? I thought Mike was drumming. Oh God, he did for one show. He did for the Ignite show. Well, just the Ignite show. I think that maybe the Corktown too. Yeah. I don't know, man. It all happened in a year and a half. The entire band was like a year and a half. It's funny, too, because, so. like, how did, you know, talking about weird beefs, like, you know, it's funny that, you know, Oakville and Hamilton had this, like, you know, kind of, like, animosity uh, towards each other. But yet, once again, you, you were in a band with, you know, people from Akron. But I guess Mike's mm-hmm. from Hamilton. So Mike's from Hamilton. So we got a pass. Yeah. Yeah. Kyle's now a Hamilton. Kyle's now Hamilton. I see Kyle all the time. Yeah, that's funny. It's funny. I didn't say Sieg Heil. <laughs> I said I see Kyle all the time. Well, now we're going to have to edit that part yeah, out. <laughs> but again, man, in retrospect, any little dumb old squabbly shit is like, hey, man, cool. You're still around. We like the same good shit. I see him at shit, good shows all the time. Yeah. He's got good taste and stuff. Yeah, yeah, you remember in the end what you the reasons you were friends with people more than the dumb shit that is not worth hanging on to. Yeah, because I think that that first lineup of The Swarm, which we'll probably get to in a second, mm-hmm. but like that was such a cool band. Like that was mm-hmm. such a cool lineup. The second lineup too, and obviously I toured with the second lineup, so that's got a like a amazing space for me. But like that first lineup was just like killer. Those Who's Emma shows are still some of my favorite oh, shows cool. ever. Thanks, looking man. back on them, yeah, that just happened. And it was neat. Yeah, it was I really. Don't know what to say. But like, so I guess Left for Dead breaks up. Did you want to do another band immediately? I never had any plan one way or the other. Yeah, I would always be down for the next thing and the next thing. I just never knew what it was going to be. Like what was, what was like, like even Left 4 Dead going on? Like we didn't, we just, we never thought. Even breaking up was like I, we didn't really have much plan. We're like, I guess we keep going. It was no offense to the person that left. It's just like if that was me that left, I'd assume you'd. If you wanted to, someone else would just do it. Yeah. Uh, but I, I don't remember exactly how it started. I like. I think we hit this last time too. I was moving to Guelph. Some things went kind of sour in Hamilton and I, I had just moved back from Toronto. So it didn't really work out. So I wasn't there long and I moved with somebody to Guelph. And then from there, when I moved back here, it was 97 into 148. And yeah. And that's how it came together really quickly, the band. Like, were you planning on doing the swarm? I think so. Were you friends with Kyle back Yeah, then? I was. Okay. Yeah, you know what? I used to go um, to Sheridan. College okay. right after high school, I went to Sheridan for about six months. I was in advertising for like six months <laughs> before I'm like, no, I'm like, I'm going to change the system from within. And then I tried school. I'm like, this is not designed to ever ever do anything like that. This is awful. And Kyle was in like art stuff there. Yeah. And he had a radio show there. So I think we became well. I would have known him because I mean, going back to like House for Zach. Yeah. Probably skateboarding. Incision. Incision, yeah. Yeah. But, you know, he had a radio show and he used to hang with him on that thing and he was spinning ringworm and good shit like that. Yeah, because, like, they, like, early on, they had, like, kind of, like, that, uh, that integrity vibe Mm -hmm. going on, like, the great belief split Mm -hmm. kind of and stuff like that. Were you a fan of them at that period or? Uh, I was there for a lot of things like Incision, um. Not a lot with grade, but more, I guess, incision. But I mean, like, oh, yeah, incision, I guess. Like. And, like, our house, when we lived, like, uh, Scooter, Kevin, yeah. that lived at 148, it was always, we were all in the same places all the time. Yeah, so, like, what, what, oh, yeah, he was in grade. What was it in after grade? Kevin? Yeah. Uh, probably something like that. hot water music type band, yeah. right, type thing. And then, yeah, he was super cool. Yeah, he I was. Remember, you and I used to work with him, too. 
for a while it's and a stuff. Weird, so weird cat. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the swarm. Yeah, the swarm. So, like, where did you kind of like? How did that kind of come together? I don't even remember. Just some. We were in uh, Kyle Kyle's house in Burlington, and he had like an old kind of bungalow place in Burlington, and we did a lot. He had shows in his basement. Did you ever see any of that? No. A lot of good shows were there. I think Coalesce and some things happened there. Really? Yeah. So we used to jam in his basement. So Coalesce played Toronto before that other Swarm show that you guys played with them at Club oh, Shanghai? Oh, Club Shanghai, yeah. That's um, an amazing show. Wow. I forget stuff. I'm getting to the point where I'm glad you're here, man. I'm starting to forget details. Well, we're we're both triggering each other's memories. Okay, so. good. Yeah. Let's get them all down on <laughs> podcast for posterity. That's why you do a podcast, so you can have your whole life on record, so when you really lose your memories, you can just go back and listen to them. Yeah. Yeah. No, Kyle had shows in his basement for a while, like house shows. Coalesce, I'm pretty sure, someone can correct me after the fact if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure that, that an amazing Coalesce show happened in Kyle's basement. So, but like, where did Adam come from? Because he played in The Way Outs. Well, Adam was a Hamilton. So you just knew all these... It was just like a bunch of people from... Well, I think minus Kyle. There was a high school that all those French... Kind of a French high school that all those kids like Alex, Joel, I think Brian, Sherry, um, Mike, and I think Adam... I think they all knew each other from that high school. Because I know at some point uh, we were going on some road trip and me and Lisa were... God, that's crazy to think back on things like this happened because we were like about maybe four or five years older than they were, but we had to, we got them from their high school. Like at some point we were inside a high school to pick them up to go to like Columbus, Ohio or somewhere on a road trip. Like that qualifies as abducting a 15 year old, I think, if you really think about it. But yeah, I think they all knew each other from, from that. So it was like basically all of Akron minus Kyle. Yeah. Uh, What's his name? Well, no, Matt Jones. Oh, Matt. Was Matt Jones in Akron? No, but in the swarm, it was Kyle. No, no, I'm thinking all of Akron, like at that high school. Oh, yeah. I think so. So, so, yeah. But, like, so how, so you just knew these kids and you're like, let's form a band with them? Well, those guys had come around to Hamilton shows too, like Mike and, like, Pesci and Mike. Well, Mike Mike had also been in Left 4 Dead by this point too. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but we knew them from even a couple years before that. Those guys would come out. I think, like, Adam and Mike came out. Um, yeah, Pesci. Pesci. Those guys would hang, and we'd go to each other's things. And there were some house shows that Pesci had, too, mm-hmm. or parties and things. Yeah, he was like, uh, I always, like, I not forget, but definitely, like, yeah, he was, like, the OG Hamilton kid kid. He was. Seeing him at every every time we went out to any show in Hamilton, he yeah. would always be there. He was there for everything. Yeah, when we had that record too. store. He had a distro for a minute. I think so. Him and Bailey. When we had that record store, he was one of the one of the few regulars, and yeah. Mance and him and a couple more. Yeah, Hamilton, like it's kind of it's cool that you know, and it's changed. Obviously, that city's changed so much, but at that point, it was like it felt like such a concentrated scene, and it and it's weird because in Toronto, you did I didn't really get the same vibe. Like it just felt too big and too disparate. So like everyone was kind of like in their own little pocket, and then when I eventually. Yeah found the scene it was like oh here it is but it seems like in hamilton it was just so much more concentrated like you know it's we- true i mean people knew each other from high school like some of those kind of sonic oniony bands yeah mayor mccaw or gorp or those things it <laughs> seemed like they're totally another world but those things were not that far away no tristan psionic and yeah. all that kind of stuff yeah but those bands would have played together because it was only a handful of high schools and everybody knew each other and everyone that was like any kind of a weirdo sort of gravitated and did shit together. Yeah, and it's still like even like kittens and right to like right to this day there's like that connection totally between you know, and it, it feels like Hamilton 
don't know, maybe it's like this if you look at other cities like Detroit or something, but like it just feels like it's so amazing given the population, uh, how much culture came out of that place mm-hmm. and during that time period too. Yeah. It was like a yeah. real I mean, time. hardcore itself, definitely. Just was hardcore, like, but was like... a handful. But even beyond that, like we were going to see early, like garage shows. There was mm-hmm. that band, the Nerlings came through from Ottawa. There was like Danko played with them and, uh, and Mance and me would be yeah. there. Or Craig at just a, a bar, you know, like a restaurant bar seeing that with Zach. I guess a Mance is the only connection between everything. Ah, uh, for sure. And stuff, so... Yeah. Um, so, Dude, you should do an episode about a Mance from everybody else. I was talking about it. I was wanting to do it like... A, I was talking about trying to do it this year, but then... I was trying to do it two years ago, but something came up. I had to do that documentary about the Tournament of Death, and now mm-hmm. I'm working on this TV show. I have no time, but I really want to. Yeah. Just do like a, a podcast. And actually, Sandy has a episode for a TV show that she did that never aired... Where she has a segment going to Amon's house and him taking her through his record collection. Oh wow! It's incredible. Oh wow! It yeah. is awesome footage. She also has like an unreleased Arcade Fire interview on their first tour. Wow! And like got a lot of cool stuff on this show. But oh jeez, the Amon's footage alone would be worth it to he was, see the light of day. He was the thread that ran through, God, decades. Yeah, of stuff. Yeah, and all of Southern Ontario. Yeah, and it's and just this quiet, unassuming guy at the back of the room of yeah. all people with no no ego or no, you know, just like a lover of music and culture. Yeah, like what do you think his favorite band you did was? I know I what his no favorite I- fucked up record was. I have no clue. He would come out to shows like the White Orchid. He came to see like yeah. Burning Love play with like seven people on a Wednesday night, and he just shows up. I'm like, I just go to everything. And he's always like the first guy. To buy your demo, yeah, or the first guy to buy your first seven inch, and it's not like the other person we were talking about yesterday. So you know they can flip it later on when it appreciates in value. Yeah, it was because he was like, I want to support this band and these people. Yeah, and it was just you know Simon, I think, pointed something out when he died or something like there was a a clipping from a either like pre maximum, but something that was like a zine. Where he was kind of taking somebody to task about a detail someone got wrong about the kinks. No, there's it's in uh, the Bomp anthology book, the second one that came out. There's a maybe there's another part in the letter section, but there's definitely a classified ad from him looking for kinks live bootlegs. Yeah, in '73 or something. Yeah, and then there's also in the Touch and Go book. Yeah, another want list of his that's in there. That's I mean that's how far back the dude goes. And he was still like buying the fucked up demo yeah. at the fucked up show or the Burning Love you know demo at the Burning Love show. And he was like, the opposite of that template about an old punk or a hardcore guy that thinks. They have to like tell everyone else that the, this is is or isn't what hardcore or punk is. Yeah, well, and it's and it's and it's so hard. Like I can't do it. Like I'm not I'm not him. Yeah. To just view culture, like specifically punk culture, because that's what he was mainly into, mm-hmm. um, as like a river and a continuum that's right. just like constantly moving. And and you know you can't hold on to any one period being better than the next period. Right. And, I have total faith if that guy had you know lived if he was around today he would be finding things he loved oh god yeah he would be he would be at every show still like he'd still be at royal headache shows like you know on their first tour around and he'd be at he'd be into like you know all the not dead yet all the not dead yet you know Mm -hmm. he'd be that guy that would be still there dude you know how bianca did roller derby oh yeah yeah she did uh and that was from 2009 i can't remember what year did did he pass 2000 and... Like 10 or 11? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We saw him at a roller derby game just weeks before he died. 
Wow. Like he was kind of drawn, you know, that look, yeah. you know, because he was the treatment or whatever. But he was just standing there with a beer in his hand watching roller derby alone, loving it. I'm yeah. like, are you real? Are you the best person that ever lived? He yeah. came in on a bus or something to be in the middle of Downsview Park, just like, just doing the things he loves being around. Like when you think about like what his life was and what brought him joy, it was like things like roller derby, mm-hmm. punk, mm-hmm. wrestling. You know, like he's a huge pro wrestling fan, has books and books of just finishes of matches yeah. and like that from everything he saw. And he was a guy that like lived for his passions. Mm-hmm. We should clarify for people that don't know what the hell we're talking about. We talked about. about him once, I think, in the last time. Have too. you? He's okay. come up. He's definitely like a reoccurring kind of like president talking about show. a mild mannered British investment banker. Yeah. <laughs> like just nine to five guy. Yeah. That was just the rock of of the scene for he's so like the, long. To me, to, to me, like, the perfect appreciator of music. Yeah. You know, like, just, like, the way he loved it was so pure. Mm-hmm. You know, like, he would go around the world and buy CDs and just throw up the cases just so he could have the music yeah. in his binder. All his money I think he ever had or saved up or his vacation days, all he did was take trips to buy records. And yeah, and, and like, not even buy records to collect records, like... I just did in Japan, <laughs> like to mm-hmm. buy records just so he can have the music. Yeah. And when CDs came out, they were an easier format for him to lug around. He switched over. Yeah. And yeah, like I just think he's the guy that, you know, I, I don't know. I, and I, you're someone that's closer to that than I think I am. You know, someone that can like, you know, the way you've kind of, you know, it's not like a lot of people that have been in bands that when the band breaks up, they're like, well, that was, that was the run. You oh, know? yeah, no. No, but you've always kind of, like, managed to, like, find relevance in what's happening, you know, that you find passion in the next thing. Yeah. You know? What but, else can you do, you know? Well, you can be bitter. And I guess so, if you're done. I think that's a cop-out. I think seeing old dudes that try to slam the door shut behind them and be like, well, that was it, and I did it, and you don't understand it, and your shit is not valid, and this stuff is stupid now. Like, no, bullshit. Someone from the fucking 80s, you know, like, the end of American Hardcore... Yeah. These leathery fucking assholes that are like, then whatever, everything changed and now you don't understand. Like, fuck that. That guy would have no idea in 1984 about something like Youth of Today in like 1987. Yeah. Someone from that world wouldn't have known shit about things like Chokehold, Hamilton, yeah. basement shit we were doing in like 1991. And by the same token, like only because I'm still playing, I, yeah, like I don't... I don't ever let myself doubt that there's good things out there. It's only that I get out of touch with them and I have yeah. to find them. But that's but. the thing is like you can't, you, you you never stop wanting your period to be the best period. Yeah, that's fucking bullshit. I but hate I that stuff. I think it's almost natural though. Like I'm watching. You're going to tell me that like 1993 was the coolest period of hardcore? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Judgment Night soundtrack? Although that shit's kind <laughs> that's of bad cool. or something. That's, yeah, that's kind of cool. Yeah. That's I got a know. couple tracks on it. Dazzler Jr. and Del the Funky Homo Sapien. Um it's, but like, I was like the Ice T exploited jam. That was my. Was that on there? They did Chaos. Oh, really? Yeah, remember? On the Judgment Ice soundtrack? Give a fuck. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was that. Or was it on an Ice T record? I think it might be on an Ice T record. I don't Whoa. think Exploited's on it. I think and Sonic I like, Youth's on it with Cypress Hill. And Onyx and Biohazard. Onyx and Biohazard. And I think Ice T and Slayer, maybe? Yeah. On maybe that? That's when, or was that the song? Oh. Someone that's like 22 years old, you can correct me. Phone in and correct me. <laughs> Some kid in a typo negative shirt. That's just you. Let me know uh, about those 90s. Yeah, it's weird. They're gonna have to do retro for like 1998 or nine soon. I'm like, are you really gonna 
Oh yeah, no, it's good. I think it slides in twenty year ways. Yeah, you know, like, like I'm, you know, we're there will come a day where people are looking back, and I, this comes on the podcast, but like the glory days of Limp Biscuit, like my God. hot dog flavored water and those chocolate starfish being named That's best crazy. new music on Pitchfork. I think that you there's know, okay. I got kind of a theory. A cool late boutique label doing the reissue. That's wild to me, man. Like the I, I think that, box set. I think the retro stuff works because people go, it usually goes in about 20 year waves because I think it's like the year that people were born or the shit that they were technically alive for but really missed out on the glory that maybe their older brothers or sisters had. Because think about it, it was like circa 2002, everybody was really jocking like the 80s. Mm -hmm. You know? Mm -hmm. Like lime green sunglasses, fucking 80s, 80s hardcore, 80s everything. And then it slid and now it's somehow into this terrible... I, for me, because I was like in like high school, I'm like I'm not gonna, you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm not going to get kid and play this. haircuts, shoulder pads, and you know like clothing. It's not crazy sweaters. It, different world. I can't. And it's also in hardcore too. Like '90s hardcore is back. Like early '90s. Yeah. You know, like the bands that people are like reissuing now and are super excited about. Yeah. To me, aren't the period of hardcore that I ever was nostalgic for. Right. But it's it's interesting to watch that happen. Even like. Even noise core, like uh, you know, we're listening to Unsane before that. Like we never got out of Unsane, yeah. but but like you know, the fact is they were like a noise core band from the same period. That's like retro mm-hmm. now too. in its own time, in its own run. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost like it will happen with everything. I felt that a bit with that Left 4 Dead reunion. I'm like, Jesus, is this retro? And I'm still going like from the same <laughs> from the first time. Right. Uh, yeah. But I, I think of like anything pre and post digital as being worth rehashing. Like everything yeah. after computer age doesn't really matter because you could sort of dial in, you know, your influences. You didn't have to find them and interact with human beings to work for them in a yeah, I, I still think it's just like different, right? Like people would criticize. I'm sure, like, like what do you mean you knew about punk from other places? Like when I was into punk, there was no zine culture, there right. was no touring. Like you just liked the punk from your neighborhood. Yeah, you know, and like the fact that we were from, you know, and you're you're obviously from a generation even, you know, that was kind of like the first people discovering this stuff. But like international hardcore, like. I grew up with the benefit of Simon Harvey's distro. Yeah. You know, like I grew up with Full Blast getting HG Fact Records. Dude, living with Simon in 1995, curmudgeon as he is, Simon, you're sometimes a curmudgeon. <laughs> yeah, Simon. So you made some, pop Simon for yeah, once again. Yeah, you found some arguments out there. We all did, for sure. <laughs> um, but man, <laughs> I don't know. Those were the times. Yeah. But no, you're right. Like, he's the guy who... You know, and I only realized this when I was in Japan. Like, I owe that guy a debt Same. for helping me find out about this music. Yeah, like, I liked a lot of the things, and I knew about a lot of the stuff that I did, but that guy, he liked, you know, everything from Prince Buster to Bastard at the same time. Yeah. That was maybe the other thing. and like Or, like, Jawbreaker, Dear You, I remember that was one of his favorites, but and probably still is, Motorhead. But the way that they all don't have to cancel each other out. You know? Yeah. Sam yeah. Sam Cook to fucking whatever. But there was that other was, stuff that, that definitely was... got canceled out because it didn't fit into those <laughs> that framework of artists. But yeah. he uh no. no, but like for the Japanese stuff especially, like mm-hmm. that was my education in that stuff. And that you know, going to Japan now and being able to kinda of like, you know, see these ba- these records and yeah. things that I already was exposed to. Yeah super young I don't always subscribe to the fact that one thing is the best and this is the way it is and everything else is not because well, I, I think, think Bastard Wind of Pain is the best record of all time for that <laughs> that's pretty hard to argue with actually <laughs> I mean I getting know. stuck in like Motorhead you know like people that like a certain kind of yeah. thing and then yeah. 
discharge motorhead. These are the things that matter. Black flag. And like, that's true. But at the same time, there is always people doing stuff that you have to go out of your way to, you know what I mean? Yeah. To find. And it's just as valid, even if you don't know it or like it or under, like, I don't know bands now until I come across them usually by playing with them. I'm yeah. Like, that's what that is. And half the time I'll love it. I feel the same way. Like, but that's because it's hard to remain especially now like it's hard to remain plugged into what's happening in pop culture mm-hmm. like to be that engrossed with you know like minutia yeah as you get older it becomes harder mm-hmm. and you know like to keep up with like you know a new band to me is like a, an old band like a band that came out two years ago you yeah know? I'm like oh that's a new band to me like i'm bummed because i'm just getting really back a lot there's things the current hardcore bands that i like now more than the last 10 years I could, you know, name 10 of them for the first time. and But now they're like bands that probably played Not Dead Yet like two or three years ago or <laughs> came here a bunch of times and then they broke up or they don't anymore. I'm like, yeah. fuck. Yeah. So. Well, it's very like. As you lose. Well, that's the thing about punk and, and, and hardcore is time moves incredibly quickly. Like yeah. even more like so than everywhere else. But like a band's life cycle is like a year. Yeah. You know, like a year is a super long time for a band to be together. What's your favorite current hardcore record from now? Uh, <laughs> I don't even... <laughs> that's something I listened to recently that I uh, really liked. The New Career Suicide record, I guess. It's great. Yeah. yeah. What's your favorite now? Currently, that Impaler's record. The Impaler's record is pretty fucking That awesome. is the most amazing thing ever. Yeah. Uh, the Full of Hell record from this year. Uh, trumpeting ecstasy i don't think i've heard that man it's awesome yeah there's a lot exit order there's like yeah, just exit a, order's fucking sick. a whole bunch of things that aren't they're just right they finally yeah. hit this like just right point well that's the, that's the thing is like everyone's so dialed in now yeah with like everything is is perfect because everyone knows exactly what how how to hit. make it perfect and tasteful yeah yeah like everyone's got you know like everyone knows the right influences to have so yeah. you don't get any of those like you know, like, it'd be harder, you know, are there as many outlier-type bands now because everyone can get everything dialed in perfectly? Well, dude, like you said, the bands that turn out to be a thing later are probably the ones that we're missing right now. Right? Yeah, yeah. Which yeah, is, like, like, when we... I'm not ever complaining about how you're saying, like, well, Kurt, well, Chris played and no one cared most of the time. It, yeah, that's a sob story. Like, a lot of people liked our band and really the whole time, and that was awesome, but they were kind of a minority until the last moments of our band, really. Yeah. Like, But... That's only goes to show you if you love something like that now, or you think like I wish I was there, I would have seen that. You probably wouldn't have, right? Yeah. So that should more than like you miss this band. That should tell you right now you should be looking around for the things around you that aren't getting a lot of love. It might be a young band. It might be something that doesn't sound. I think like you, but that seems like all your bands though have this, and you know maybe it's you doing it, but like you know you get to a point where it feels like you're about to break through. And it's not you doing it, actually, because I've been close enough to all these situations to know that yeah. these things fell apart internally. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it seems like... I was not meant to break through anything. You no, know, but, like, but it feels like those bands, like, when I was on tour of The Swarm and guys from Relapse were coming out yeah. to see you, you know? Or, like, Curse, like, you know, towards the end, you guys were getting really big, yeah. you know? But then it fell apart no, yeah. no, through no fault of your own. That's my style. Um, but, like, you know, and it's and even feels like with Burning Love, like, now you guys are, like... At that point, where you know you're you're a band that has a, fil- a following internationally, yeah, and you're like, yeah, it might be over. 
we can't get together to practice in two years and we live down the street from each other. And I play in a band with three people from North Carolina and one from Portland and somehow we do something every five weeks. <laughs> so I think that's the one that's going to get the... Yeah, but that's also the one that's like right, all right. straight edge dudes that are, you know, all in gigging bands yeah. that definitely... Yeah, man. You know, you don't want to be the, the slouch in that band as no. far as... You got to keep your, keep your end up. Your work schedule goes and yeah. stuff. Work order goes. But uh, I guess we keep getting off... Yeah, where, where are we at? We're uh, we're at the swarm okay. stuff. Um, so like the swarm originally, you know, uh, it, it comes together, and there was like buzz immediately. You guys recorded that ten inch, I think, before you like you played that first show at you the and fest, you and New Year's Fest, New Year's '96, going into '97, I think. Or yeah, the, yeah. And you were were you called Knee Deep in the Dead? We had two ideas for names, so we just used them both. Okay, yeah, but it was like, I think the original flyer was Knee Deep in the Dead really? before the Swarm was on it. Maybe. And it was like featuring Left 4 Dead, Acrid members. Mm. And But there was like a buzz right away. Like, And it's funny to think about in the pre-internet world, like what that buzz would have entailed. <laughs> but like, people were into it. Like it was a full room at that fest. You guys were playing pretty high up on the bill. You had to send your friend a telegram. Hey, have you heard this new band? Exactly. This is the bee's knees. Yeah, I guess so. It was always pretty fun right from the start. Yeah. Like, yeah. it really feels like, you you know, that band had a following locally. And it was so small. Like, the scene was so small yeah. at that point. Yeah, you know, you're right. That did work out the whole time. Yeah. From the get-go. Yeah. And those shows were always kind of wild. Was that, like, still the intention of putting something... I don't know. If it just happened and we went with it, they were always pretty crazy. But they were fun... It was almost like there was like a fun vibe, like not to say that Left 4 Dead was like completely sinister, but there was like almost like the it was a little menacing. The violence was real in a way, yeah. and it wasn't as fun as with the Swarm, where you know you jump on Mike Max's back and then well, go mosh the room up. Dude, this is the difference between Tony Urba's Cleveland, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and like the other confronts Cleveland. Cleveland or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, like same. Self-deprecating, ridiculous, whatever, but something that means you ill versus something that's like, I guess, volatile, the right amount of volatile feeling. And it's just like fun kind of danger. But I look back on it, though, and I was like, you know, I definitely I've seen Nine Shock shows. I've been to like some Cleveland shows in Cleveland that were crazy. And I don't know. I think those swarm shows were still like the most fun. And maybe that's because it's my, you know, nostalgia for that period and that music. But like. The vibe just always felt like the right level of this is crazy, that shit could get really fucked up, mm-hmm. but still like safe enough that everyone could participate. Like, yeah, there were a lot of women in the scene then that I think wouldn't weren't present during that period we were talking about where Cursed was existing. Mm-hmm. You know, like it felt like it was more more inclusive. It didn't. It wasn't. Didn't have to try to be or make a statement of it. It's just the way it was. Yeah. Like our friends were all around us. It wasn't a. A macho energy. No, it was a fun energy. It was like wild or even, yeah, a little rough, but not, didn't exclude anybody. Yeah. But you guys also played like the weirdest fucking shows. Yeah. (laughs) Like, was that a mandate? Like, There was never any mandate for anything. That's why shit happened the way it did. How did that Demon Speech show? Oh my God, that band was great. At the Elmo. (laughs) Well, the metal swing band. Yeah. At the tail end of the swing kind of hype. Yeah. Me and Lou used to listen to that CD so much. (laughs) Green River. Oh, my God. That was with the first Swarm lineup, right? That would have been... I th- Oh. Yeah, I think it was yeah. Kyle and Matt still. Yeah. There was two shows. I get it mixed up. There was like that Demon Speed and... Was it Cataclysm? No. Because we also played with... We played with Brutal Truth and Cataclysm. And I got hit by the car out front. Oh, really? 
And I remember standing with Sean Moe. Some guy was running for a streetcar and got plowed down by the car at that brutal truce. A guy from the show? No, just some other guy. Oh, just a guy. Okay. And he survived. He like he, both his legs were broken. Okay. So All right. you know, it wasn't like he was unaffected by it. Okay. It worked <laughs> out. I, I remember that show, yeah, very much for that but happening. We played with Madball and H two O in the same at the upstairs of the old Elmo and Brutal Truth and Cataclysm. Yep. I and think. then downstairs of the Elmo was the Demon Speed show. Yeah. And you know why else it's memorable, Chris? Who was there? Oh no. Janine Garofalo. Oh, I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Gene Groffalo was a big Demon Speed fan. Jeez, man. And he'd come to see Demon Speed, but... Wow. Stay <laughs> for the swarm. I don't know. We just... People would ask us. I mean, you did a lot of those shows, so he probably asked us, and we just did Did you do that Demon Speed show? That's like that. That's one of the ones that I'm always wondering. That might have been an together. Inertia or a Dan Burke <laughs> or a Noel. <laughs> no, Brutal Truth was probably Noel. Yeah. Okay. I guess it's like Toronto. And H2O was probably you. You H2O was definitely Madball and H2O. Yeah, yeah Madball and H2O. And then Brutal Truth was probably Noel too. And, uh, yeah, but like, did you guys play at Shanghai? Oh, yeah, Coles was at Shanghai yeah. with you and That was a Ewan show. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember all the other early shows. Shanghai was a neat, weird moment of something, eh? That was like a weird venue. Corner of a third floor of a... <laughs> a Chinese grocery store. Yeah, what was that? It was, um, and it was so big. Like so, like well, that, it like had they hollowed out room. a restaurant and the lattice, you know, was still there. Well, they had like a, a supper club down. That was when you guys played at. Yeah, and then also, Promise think, Ring played there. I think Godspeed played there. Maybe yeah, I guess that would make sense, right? Like same time at era. Dude, Godspeed played for a couple of years. They went like in the moment that it really happened for them. I saw like they played they played there for sure, and then they played um, the Bloor Cinema. They played Lee's Palace with Dumake. Okay. And I remember because there was so smoky. So it must have been when they were still smoking in clubs, right? And then they played the Bloor across the street. Yeah. Like a movie theater. Yeah. And then Palais Royale. Palais I just Royale, went like, duh, yeah. duh, duh, duh. I remember and that then, Palais Royale show feeling so fucking long. Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen any. Because it's a standing show. Did you see any of the reunions at Lee's? No. They did five days at Lee's. We saw two of them. It was fucking great. Yeah, you were always a much bigger fan like I like them you know and I definitely respect them for what they do do but it's not I've never been I for me it's always need it always needs lyrics it always needs vocals and that's uh, something we all were listening to circa starting the swarm yeah that to be Chris, honest. Chris Isaac I love that Chris Isaac record I tried liking Lana Del Rey and it didn't work I thought it was bullshit I'm like man it seems like <laughs> it's vibe seems like one thing and then you listen to it and it's bullshit um but I thought if I squint my eyes a certain way, I can see that I could maybe like this, like I like Chris Isaac, kind of like it's depressive and sort of countryish. But no, it sucked. Yeah. No, I liked Chris Isaac. I'll cop to that shit. Cool. But no, like um, that fucking Damage 381, that Extreme Noise Terror record that had just come out. Okay. The one with half a napalm on it. That for sure. Slaughter of the Soul, when that came out okay. uh, at the gates. Yeah, at the gates record. Godspeed. Those are three things. If you put them together, that would hopefully sort of explain the kinds of sounds we liked at the time. Yeah, which have nothing to do with hardcore. And crossed out too. And like, I'm trying to think of like some of the other bands that you. Were, I remember going to your house and you playing because that's when we met you. I remember we went to Who's Emma. Mm-hmm. We had met Lisa, and like a week later. She picked me up from high school, basically, and took me to Columbus Fest. And Mike wasn't allowed to go. His mom wouldn't let him go. That's what we did. We sired young. Yeah, exactly. We picked them up from high school, <laughs> took them, them away in a van, made I, them sell flowers in the airport. Well, that's exactly like my kids this weekend were like, or like not this weekend, but like, you know, in 
six years, eight years, uh, if Holden's like, Dad, I'm, I'm going to go with these 30-year-old, twenty late 20-year-old kids. That's cool. We're just popping over to somewhere in Ohio. <laughs> yeah, to a, a festival in Ohio. I'm going to sleep in a hotel room with 25 people. <laughs> yeah, I'd lock them up. It's cool, yeah. I'd lock that, them up. That was not a, that was not a good idea. Yeah. No. No, not a good That's idea. That's a parent's nightmare, for real. It was definitely a parent's nightmare. Like the ultimate of like, you lie and say I'm sleeping at your house. I'll say I'm sleeping <laughs> at your house. And you're like... But like, what a positive environment to go to like a place that was free of religion, yeah. free of drugs and alcohol. Um, you know, the worst thing you're going to do is spend too much money on t-shirts and zines and colored vinyl. I got my entire Black Flag record collection at one of those fests. Really? Dude, all on color. Someone was selling for eight dollars. This is so fest. This is so fest. Eight dollars each. Um, I just totally topped off like almost all of these on. Oh, crazy. crazy when recently? Crazy. No, then. Oh, back then, back in the day. Like at one of those, one of those festivals. I remember. Uh, I think Detroit. I remember uh, a certain member of a certain band from Southern Ontario selling his entire record collection at Columbus Fest, and then going out and losing it. Uh, in a game of three card Monty. Oh no, that's sad. <laughs> I don't know who you mean. Uh, uh, allegedly, it might have been a member of Spread the Disease. Oh shit! Allegedly. Shit. Oh, I'm sorry. R.I.P. <laughs> your records. <laughs> wow. Um, but I don't know if that's true or not. That was from know your limit, that. play within it. Yes. That's what they say, right? Yes, definitely. And also, uh, if you're not a local, there's no way you're winning three card Monty. Shit. Yeah, I don't know. In Columbus, Ohio, on the street, like. With some guy. Oh, on the street. Yeah, oh, three no. star card money on Yeah, the that's, that game it's is a crooked. Hustle. Like, that's a crooked game. Yeah. That's, that game is not on the level for you to <laughs> no. win. That's a shell game, guy. No, no. And so that's where all that Converge record money went. Yeah. And Converge presses and, yeah. and the like. Damn. Okay, so where are we at? So we're at the Swarm. All right, so the Swarm. Here's what happened. Um, Grade was getting really busy. I think they might have just signed with a victory. I'm not sure what, but... Um, well, they were like... Do you remember that period where Grade was, like, being courted by uh, everyone? Like, I don't. They were being courted by Revelation. I remember meeting... Because uh, Jersey was also getting really popular at that point, too. And I went to a Jersey show at the, the Horseshoe. Swarm got it from Revelation, too. Really? The Swarm, really? I guess at that time, too, it was like... And also, that was when... Rev wasn't necessarily putting out... Well, I guess they did Kiss Goodbye around then. Yeah. They, were, they did it in my eyes. You yeah. want to know something nerdy? What's that? You'll appreciate that... I know you think like this, too. But um, Dead Guy was, like, my exception because I don't really count Integrity as a as a victory band. But Dead Guy was my, my exception to really not liking anything that was at that time <laughs> on that label. Bloodlet. What about Bloodlet? Okay, like yeah. No, Bloodlet. And they are killing it these days, man. They're they coming just, back. They're playing Toronto coming we up. We just played with them at This Is Hardcore. They were the best thing the whole day. I fucking love that band, yeah, too. go to that show. I'm gonna, I'll go with you if yeah. you're here. Um, but no, it was funny because Kiss It Goodbye was like my exception to yeah. that era of Revelation. I'm yeah. Like, That's the one. And then Dead Guy. So, Did same. you like Will Haven? Do you remember they were like getting super buzzy, buzzed about too? Don't remember them at all. I haven't listened to that record in a long time. I should go back really? and listen to it. I go right from those early ones to Kiss It Goodbye. It was kind of like Neurosis uh, and them were both getting like mainstream British music press love when I was living in England yeah. at that time. Yeah. Um, and it was... Uh, like both were kind of like bubbling up obviously neurosis being legends mm-hmm. you know we're already successful on many other people's radars but yeah. for mainstream english press yeah um but yeah that, that revelation records era 
trying to think what else. It was in Fall my Fall Silent might have been. Fall then. Silent maybe that was. Yeah, that's weird that that was, that was on Revelation too. To think that. Yeah. Yeah. They so they were courting Gray. You were saying. Right? Yeah. So like so, Gray was being courted by them, being courted by I think Epitaph or Fat or someone. Uh, maybe not on that. It's but. not that weird. Those labels were trying with. You know, within like hardcore and punk to find new bands all the time. I think that doesn't seem weird now. I think at the time it does. Yeah. You know, like. It did. We had our, I mean, I think Revelation asked us, and I think it came down to something about like, how would you like to be marketed? And the punk yeah. rocker me was like, we fucking wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> a little over dramatic, but like, mm, fuck this, man. Like, it's a hardcore label, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Like, now it feels like that makes a lot more sense for, you know, and obviously Victory and Rev have histories in hardcore, right. but like... But that's how you run a label. You but find Relapse, it. I think, when Relapse came to meet you guys at that show, mm-hmm. that was very surprising. And now knowing they're probably just punk hardcore kids, but at the time, to me, Relapse was like yeah. a metal label. Yeah. And I was like, what? Like, how, how do they even know about this band? Right. And it, you know... But I guess it makes sense, right? I, I got a business card somewhere from that. <laughs> All the could have beens. Yeah. But that was that was when the second lineup happened. You still had that first lineup. Yeah. But I was always smart about it when that came to me. I was always like, man, I don't know, but maybe you should give me that disrupt and a couple of these <laughs> records you know, while, while we're thinking about it. Hey, I got a turning point on gold as a signing bonus from there J Tree. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> Priorities, dude. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Should have looked at that contract a little bit closer, yeah. though. Um, so where did you go? Oh, God. So but the, you had this moment with uh, the swarm, yeah. Where I guess grade is becoming more of a full time thing. Yeah, that was it. Like we had, I was living here. I was living at one four eight. Um, I was living with Adam and Lou. Yeah, and I know this gets blown out as being like some terrible thing. But we're, I mean, we're all friends now, and really we were then too. Um, they just got really busy with their band, and like I said, none of us ever had a plan. We just like wanted to keep going, and it we couldn't. You know, like eight months back then was like an eternity to not do something or play yeah. a show. So we're just did what we did and had uh, Christian and Lou, you know, take over from where uh, like Kyle and Matt couldn't anymore because just at the moment they were and they went with it and they had years of, you know, what I mean, their thing. So I know in retrospect, it's kind of not can't really argue that they, they, they were off doing their thing. I remember, that was sorry, what it was really about. I remember like before, we, before that happened, I had met you. Because that night that we got distracted talking about something else on, uh, Mike, myself, Ryan, Gavel, like all met Lisa, mm-hmm. and at the at Who's Emma, mm-hmm. and then she brought us back to the house and you gave us copies of the original recording of the Swarm Ten Inch with oh, all really? the samples. In it. Oh wow, yeah, that was like an epic recording for a band to even go in and try and do that back then. I gave somebody a bag of tapes in front of the Elmo. Was it you or like one of those or Gavel or somebody? I had such a bag of tapes, no, like demos, going you, back. I came over to your house one time, and you, I bought a couple tapes off you, and I bought one was uh, a chokehold demo, but I got it home, and it was actually the Bass Case oh, live God. tape, so I came back and brought yeah. that to you. Oh, damn, that's weird, because I have a chokehold more than ever demo case and no tape. I have a case with no tape, because I gave that tape back Somewhere, to you. how come there's not an extra tape? <laughs> There's extra covers. I don't know. All right, but no. What else did we listen to? Uh, you know, we you know we. I think you played it just the ten inch. Like it was just before the ten inch had come out, and you gave us that ten inch. But it felt like such an epic recording. But I guess that's that Godspeed influence, right? Yeah, yeah. We had way too many tracks too. Just like laid down like twenty five <laughs> guitar tracks, so it was kind of like muddy and busy. 
And things like Acme and, you know, we yeah. liked shit like that and Morser too that was just like kind of bombardment of guitar tracks and sounds. And I guess like there's also so. like Neurosis too had a lot of samples for and sure. layers and stuff in there. Yeah, I mean, this, uh, this I got to give this one to Kyle for sure. I think that was a lot of his vision with writing that music too, that he liked that. And those riffs and those recordings were like, we wanted them to be like that. Mm-hmm. And as much as we were saying that, you know, you guys had a following right away and it was crazy, it didn't feel like anyone else caught on outside of our little group till after the second lineup. Yeah, after it was done. Yeah, well, the second or, until yeah. the second lineup started. Like the second, I remember the reunion show, the return show was was the three sixty, three sixty. Yeah, one. like there was like so many people there. And Teen Crud, Teen Crud played, but fucked but, up. No, I'm thinking of the Curse Two show that fucked up played. In, yeah, in that room. Yeah, no Swarm, Swarm. Uh, it was who else played that? So maybe buried alive. I have it. Day of Morning played it. Day of Morning. <laughs> I think uh, G Money's band maybe. Uh, no, Twinfold. No, no, maybe they didn't. I no. saw him the other day. I saw him at Neurosis. Really? Love you, G Money. <laughs> um, G Money's come on the show a couple times. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, well, definitely, I have the poster somewhere still. Teen Crud did for sure, and Day of Morning did, and we did. Yeah, because you cured. Confine. Confine too. Played, okay, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, because you guys curated that too. Yeah. And that was, you know, once again, like we're saying, no one was into Teen Crud at that show. It was, but everyone was into you guys. Like people had caught had caught on in Toronto by that Whenever point. Whenever I do shows, I try to mix them up like that. Like when we did the Curse 3 release show at Lee's Palace, I did um, 50 Watt Head. Yeah. Because it's like, dude, if you like our band, you should love this band. And no one fucking, like, no one was hardly giving a shit. I'm like, how are you missing this? And Career Suicide. Yeah. And us in the same show. Like, roll it all together. It's hard when you do that because, like, you know, as much as you like stuff in a, the in a band, yeah, it's not like you the exact same as your crowd a lot of times. Yeah, so, and you're like, oh, why don't you guys get this? Yeah, we, we love this band. You're gonna figure this out at like years years too late. Yeah, and I've been on the receiving end too. Like when we were on tour with the Foo Fighters, it's like, oh, but the Foo Fighters like us, so just you know, why don't you guys? Why don't you? <laughs> Actually, the Foo Fighters crowd was cool. Arcade Fire's crowd was. Oh, you were the jerks. Yeah. Oh yeah, we were the jerks. Oh man, we were definitely the the problem people. Wow. Well, yeah. I, I, I we're not even going to get to curse today, Chris. Holy shit, this is going to be a ten parter. I know. We're like pretty much nearing the end of our our time talking, and we're still on the swarm. Yeah, there's like two years. There's all the in. Imbe- and then there's Ruination and Countdown at the same time, crossing yeah. over with these things. And also, Countdown crossed over with The Swarm. Yeah, all three were that, happening at one time. I think we brought this up maybe on the last one, but if not, there's that legend about RJ being told that he was going to join The Swarm and showing up and it being Countdown to Oblivion. Oh. Is that true? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> it was in that room in River Street with the bare swinging light bulb. Yeah. I think Lungful of Dust might have jammed in that Lungful room. Lungful of Dust did jam in that room, Chris. Oh yeah. my God, that's a... That's an obscure memory from the past. Did you play with us? I feel like I did. Katie. Katie was in the band, but maybe I think you were in the band when I wasn't in the band. Is see, there's shit like that you don't remember because like you, yeah. you didn't. I don't think you played because it was like um, the fucked up stuff. I'm like I'm trying to remember. I drummed for something like lie. I remember like we started band wise. Like we started that as a thing to jam, but then there's whole things in bands I don't and then remember. You and I did a practice one time with Josh and me singing and you on drums and Mike on guitar. I remember that and I don't even remember where we practiced. Yeah. That, but I remember I've got a distinct memory of that being a practice one time. Jonah reminded me of something like, You remember Liberace? You Liberace. did this and I did that? <laughs> yeah. Like, Fuck. Oh yeah. And then you you also had uh what is it called? Like Jesus Christ? Your Christian rock band that you were going to do? You and Andy Dems? Oh, Christ Almighty. Christ Almighty. And it had yeah. the Citizens Arrest CA. <laughs> yeah. That's... We recorded. <laughs> 
We I remember that you recorded. I remember you playing your recording on yeah. it. Yeah. It's amazing, like... It was all making fun of Jesus Metal. Here we are making fun of, uh, you know, uh, Linkin Park, uh, Numero Group box set, but there should be, like, a box set... Hey, I'm not making fun of Numero Group box sets. Uh, no, I'm nor am I, but I think the existence... <laughs> Linkin Park, fine. Potentially a, an existence of a Linkin Park one day or a Limp Bizkit one one day, I right. think, is, like, what we were making fun of. No, okay. Numero Group box sets are amazing. You don't understand Limp Bizkit, man. You gotta look at their oeuvre. Yeah. It's Kinda amazing. Overall, if, if, you, if you do die... It really speeds up that. It process. retroactively makes you having been a great artist. Yeah, like yeah. you cannot. Dude, I need to die. <laughs> you just helped me figure it all out. <laughs> oh my god, I got it. I got it. New plan. Yeah, that's like that's where you really get appreciated. Like, yeah. Like in the wake of the, you know, and it's tragic passing, obviously, of the singer of Lincoln Park. Dude, I don't know. I just don't know. I never listened to. I wouldn't know that if I heard it. But I mean, it's a shame when anybody that's an artist yeah, or kills dies. I don't ever mean to like joke about things like that. I exactly. Just don't know but at the same time, it doesn't change the fact that I never liked that band. Yeah. And I can't like just turn a switch and make it like, oh no, everything they did was incredible. Yeah. I appreciate it as a work of art now. Yeah, that's kind of some bullshit for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's what you got to do when someone passes away. Yeah. Yeah. So, Limp Biscuit, sorry. So if you pass away, the Christ Punchers are going to be, or no, a Christ Almighty, I should say. Yeah. Did you, who had the Christ Punchers? Whose band was that? It was probably one of the same, like a joke <laughs> okay. name for another. I don't know. <laughs> I think it was you and Mike. We didn't know what we were doing. It was just... We, I have a tape, and we're jamming. I think it's the stuff, because some of the Fucked Up songs, they were those first couple of riffs. Well, you were things. in Fucked Up. Yeah, but before we even knew, I think I have a tape that says Self-Destruct on it. Like that Oh, was, that was the other name you guys were playing with, yeah. too. Yeah, I remember Mike telling me that. It's amazing, like... It's a blur, though, man. How? But it's, it's funny how, you know, it all could have gone... So differently, you know, like we are all in different bands and, yeah. and doing different things, and like, well, nobody ever knows when they're doing something what it's gonna be ever. Same yeah. with back, look at the 80s things, look at something like Project X or some band that played like a handful of times that you didn't probably understand the significance it, it later. Se- it seems like there's always one person in the band though that gets it more than the other people in the band that's like the driving force, being like, you know, and obviously in Fucked Up, it's Mike, yeah, for uh, sure. you know, but like in like you were saying, Kyle on those early swarm recordings. And then you took over kind of the direction of the band. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Adam or... wrote some good, cool yeah, stuff absolutely. too, but all that first stuff. Yeah. Really credit where it's due. Kyle, that was a lot of his vision for. Cause Adam left too, business. right at the very end. Cause no, you did Adam Andy, went, Andy did a tour with you guys. Oh, there was no, that was when Christian couldn't come on something. Oh, and Andy Dempsey. And that's what kind of looped from the swarm over to ruination. Yeah. too. Yeah. yeah. He did a tour. He filled in the, the original super group. Oh, Pre-sect. Man. Oh man, yeah! <laughs> Holy hell, we're gonna have to do that in part eight. That'll be another one, another one. Well, Chris, thank you so much, buddy. Yeah, this has been the most manic episode ever because of this coffee. This is a very strong coffee. Yeah. See, I was work. I was in the kitchen working until all hours last night. So I'm going on good old, good old fashioned. The '90s are back. The 90s. Total insomnia, sleep deprivation, yep. the drug of the straight edge, burning the candle at many ends, and then a bunch of coffee and woo, animated. <sighs> I tell you, well, this has uh, been awesome. We didn't even talk about your business. How's the business going? Next time. It's good. It's a challenge. It's a challenge for sure. It's hard for me. I have like a really bad attention span, as you may know. So doing anything for more than like, it's been like four years now. Yeah. And it was like a not a plan, like most things in life. It wasn't a plan in life, but it sort of fell into my lap to be a vegan guy that sort of accidentally invents a food or something. Yeah. Like yeah. something happened and it was neat. Uh, but then it 
it kind of instantaneously did a bunch of things and it became like a commercial product. And I just was driven by the idea. Well, it's vegan, so like it, you know what I mean? Ethically lines up with what I like and it's artistic. And I don't have a boss, but I'm really not good with the math end of things because I still approach it like a punk rocker about everything. Yeah. So if something is too businessy or bullshit, I just like burn it down and tell it to fuck <laughs> off. And that's not really the way you can do things, but I do do it that way. And I don't know. It's it's a learning curve. Is it just you still? Yeah, Bianca helps me do stuff, but I, we really... It's just the two of you, though. Yeah. So it's like a, a Pretty, real, like, legit mom and pop yeah. operation. Which is funny, because people see it, and people write us, and it's like it appears... I mean, it, it, is a, it is a corporation, in theory. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, goes worldwide, in theory, and it's all been very far and wide. Like, it blew up really fast and really big, and it's really still just, yeah, us doing everything. It's kind of amazing when you, like, think about how you know, how many people from punk have gone on to apply these sort of like DIY approaches to other industries. You yeah. Know? And like just thinking in Toronto, how many friends we have that have tried to like apply the same sort of principles that they would, if they had a record label to whatever, be it a food product or mm-hmm. be it like a, well, I try to, I do that with money. It's sort of like pay no more than on a record. Like yeah. I don't, and with health foods and vegan Matt, you things. You put pay no more on your health food product. I try. I set an RSRP that is like, I don't want to sell this for more than I would want to buy it for, and I'm a fucking cheapskate. But imagine you put, you should actually just put like a pay no more thing pay on no the more? label. Yeah, that'd be awesome. If you're paying more than this, <laughs> yeah, getting, take it up with the owner of this store. Yeah, right or right to us. Because God knows I'm not making it. This record costs. Or this product costs blah, 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 postage paid. Yeah. <laughs> like pay no more than... <laughs> oh, my God. I'll do a, a thorough wall, then I'll give a breakdown. This is how much this costs to make me. Oh, that's in also the Econocrise split, where they have the complete breakdown of oh, how man. much the record costs to make. Steam... I think Bicycles did it, too. Steam the stamp off, put it back on an envelope, and send it to me for a free <laughs> yeah, sample. Put tape on the stamp. That used to happen. Oh, yeah, no. Do you remember... Uh, when, uh, petty, petty crimes used to happen. Oh, God, yeah. There's like a, a certain record label in Toronto that used to ask people to send his postage back. And it's like, but I just paid for the postage. Yeah, I used to write Justin Pearson and Eric Allen and those guys back then. And we, it was always about steaming and you'd like <laughs> glue stick over the, the, the stamp. Like, really? Is this 48 cents what's making or breaking this interaction? But it was nice to feel well, like you were sticking it to somebody. You're trying to bring down the system. Yeah. You know, like... You're bleeding the beast really slow. Using phone dialers. Like, yeah. all this shit that now would get you thrown probably in prison. Now, yeah. Like, anarchy cookbooks. Anarchist cookbooks. Crazy shit. to think. Yeah. That was a scam the whole time. I'm pretty sure that was a setup to monitor who, who bought it. Are you sure? Do you think, really? I think the anarchist cookbook was one of those things they were looking at everybody that ever... Well, I, I don't I don't really know why else you would need a fucking book about how to make bombs. When I was a kid, that book it. was like the most coveted thing on Yeah, earth. it was just extreme. And then we realized you could get, on the early days of the internet, that was like the first stuff to be disseminated wild, widely was like anarchy files. Yeah. So how to make your own bombs, yeah. how to make your own this, how to make your own that. Yeah. So kids out there, go Google Anarchist Cookbook, <laughs> yeah. Unabomber Manifesto. You think any kids listen to this? You think any of this is relevant no. to any kids? <laughs> no. It's really not. Oh, my. We're lucky if there's anyone over the, under the age of 25 with yeah. this thing. Well, Snapchat it or some shit. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the kids, kids today, I think, are, you know, less destructive. You know, like you hear about kids blowing up, but it's normally because they're trying to make some sort of crazy drug yeah. type yeah. thing. Whereas Super Molly. Or yeah, no. Explosion. Or, or, or Shatter. That's the cannabis concentrate. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have blown up trying to make that because really? you have to use butane if you're not doing it in a controlled, safe environment. What do you do? You cook? 
No, you spray the weed with butane and it flash freezes all the trichomes off. You can use other gases. And then you expose it to low heat and it cooks the butane off. And then you put in a vacuum purge and that sucks all the rest of the butane out. So you're left with like, you know, five parts per million or like something really small of any yeah. of this butane. So you get pure, it's pure. It's pure. It's just pure THC wow, at that geez. point or pure trichomes right. of any of all of them type thing. Uh, but if you're doing it in a room and you're just using a can of butane and doing what they call open blasting, it's really fucking dangerous. Wow. Like uh, any spark can set that room up and there's like a house near us like between you and me uh, blew up. Wow. Because of that stuff. A, oh, apartment in Liberty Village blew up. The thing is, luckily, the market's moving so quickly that anyone that's doing that open blasting is kind of being wiped out of the industry. Wow. Because everything's moving towards large-scale productions, um, or at least larger-scale productions than someone doing it in their living right. room. But it's That's still- crazy, man. When I was in high school and smoked weed, it was just the most shitty, skunky, Hells Angels, Hamilton Mountain, bad marijuana. <laughs> yeah, like, it's definitely... The the evolution of cannabis to watch that industry kind of change. Like, cause I got into it just at the beginning of what's happening yeah. now. And it's been... You're making up for some lost time. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm kind of in my... Uh, I'm in You're my, over the honeymoon phase? Or what? I, I'm definitely... I still use it medicinally, and I find it benefits yeah. me medicinally. But like as far as like my, my uh, enamored view of... Of the industry and things like that. That's changed, yeah. I think, a little bit. But As a straight-edge guy, in all seriousness, I think it's fucking ridiculous that anybody would not look into, and especially as a vegan and a straight-edge guy, uh, anything that's a plant that can help people as opposed to a pharmaceutical, I'm, I'm all for it. I saw what it did for you. I mean, I just don't. I don't, because I don't. But, um, yeah. Uh, I think you should be able to. Anything that you can grow in your backyard that can help your fucking mental health or get you away from medications, like... Well, like shit, do well, your thing, man. <laughs> well, no, and that's the thing. Like you, like you know, it, it, like you said, like you can see in me, like it, it changed me. Like it was really, uh, it changed your health, it changed my health, it changed your anxiety, my anxiety, yeah. my, the way I, and I look back on those pills, and those pills turned me into a kind of a a weird. I don't want to say a sadist because, it, but it would definitely wasn't as aware of other people's feelings yeah. or or emotions, yeah. um, and not that I am. Super at this point, either uh, at times, but but you're functional, more, man. You were more functional now. You would have yeah. a lot of panic attacks, and you would, and I would, and I would, basically every night, I look at every fucked up show as mm-hmm. being a panic attack. Yeah, and I would go on stage, and I'd hurt myself. You know, luckily I would never hurt anyone a else. A lot of cursed was like that too. Yeah, just like you're piling up frustration twenty three yeah. hours, yeah. and then you're fucking just trying to do what you can about it for one hour. And also the yeah. lifestyle of. You know, and it, it, I don't want to talk badly about it because I got to see Europe, but like that lifestyle of touring Europe for, you know, enough time to make your money back. So like six plus weeks. I know. Yeah. In winter where it's like a poorly heated situation. You're not yeah. necessarily staying in well heated venues without, you know, in some cases mold mm-hmm. and stuff like that because uh, you're staying at the venue. Yeah. I think that really fucked with my head. It's hard. I think we found ways to pretend that it was okay and make ourselves do it. For me, I would just like pour my stress into things like books and records. You were probably there when I would like buy an extra suitcase and pretend it was already somewhere in the back of the trailer and it was full (laughs) of. I mean, look at I was hoarding these things that I could not afford to buy on Discogs now. Yeah. Back then, I'm glad glad I had those tastes back then. But 
yeah, it's not it's just your mental health. It, it's wild. I don't know. This is one of many things that I love about sect too, is that we can only ever do so much at once because of everybody's schedule. Yeah. So it's usually like we just did Europe, but it may maybe like five days of stuff. And then we all kind of go back home. Yeah. And I'm not used to that. Anything I've ever done. If I'm somewhere that far away, it's part of like a 30 day. I'm traveling trip. a lot now, but it's like, once again, it's more sane as far as my traveling. Like I'm in one place. For an extended period of time mm-hmm. and it doesn't have that like you're never comfortable um you know and like i've never been able to tour really in a bus um i can imagine that would also have its other drawbacks but at least you have like a home base yeah whereas when you're touring it's like the van is your home <laughs> it's like not a very comfortable situation yeah you, you don't have much space to yourself to just uh, well you begin to see why all these guys were are, don't get along yeah. now you know like oh no shit the people in black flag yeah don't talk take any five people <laughs> put them in a van for like years months at a yeah years, years at a time yeah and wonder why your relationships suffer your home life is messed up you're kind of shell-shocked like there's a bit of a ptsd to that yeah it's really like only now that you kind of look on at it i think from a distance and see like Oh, yeah, this is that super was, intense. That was wild and not healthy. Yeah, I'm glad we did it because music-wise, it was awesome. But, like, yeah, that takes a lot out of your your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, it's there's very few jobs that require that kind of sustained, close-quarters interactions with your coworkers. Yeah. And Probably, like, people working on an oil field or something where you're, like, yeah. in a, on a base or something. Yeah, like, you know, and imagine military-type lives would be very, you know, obviously there's other things that they're worried about, too, mm-hmm. at that point. But there's also, like, remuneration, you know, economic rewards. Yeah, that, that to come. do all that and then also lose your shirt and <laughs> yeah. then do it some more. Yeah. yeah. It takes a certain kind of self-punishing personality. Yeah, to come back from tour and be like, I have no money. Yeah. And I only have two weeks of sitting at home doing nothing until I go on tour again. Yeah. To lose more money. Yeah. And you never really let yourself go, but why did I do that? Yeah. Because the core. Because the core. Yeah. I love music. Yeah. <laughs> worth it. Worth it. Would do again. Would ruin my life for it again. Well, Chris, thank you so much, but Oh, I love you. Love you too, man. So we'll do, we'll hit on, um, well, everything, man. There's sect. Yep. There's modern life. Everything. Well, all right. We'll, we'll, there'll be a part three. Part three, part four, part five. All right, man. It's ongoing. Thank you, Chris, for coming on the show. And as you hear right there, Chris and I have already planned this out. We got we got volumes more coming, volumes more coming of stories to get to. We didn't even get to the curse stuff, and that's where shit gets real crazy. So this was a, a fun one for me. I'm really happy I got to do it. Thank you, Chris. I love you, buddy. Um, you can find Chris uh, with all his endeavors at CC versus God on Instagram. And also on Instagram, uh, he's got Vegan Magic, which is his his Vegan Magic baking grease, Parmageddon. Uh, he's doing other food products too. He's got chocolate bars. He's he's a uh, a Renaissance man of the vegan food game. So please support Chris and, and all his stuff. Sacked in all his bands as well. Whew. Next week on the show, we got another part two. This one, I also got to say thank you to Vans for initiating because this was someone that I've been on tour with before, but it wasn't until. I did the live podcast, live turned out of punk with him at the House of Vans in Chicago 
that I realized that we should be friends. Next week on the show, Brendan Kelly from the Lawrence Arms, from Slapstick, uh, from from tons of other stuff too. But he, we really only get to Slapstick next week. <laughs> we don't get very far into his long uh, musical career. We talk a little bit of the Broadways too, but it's really about Slapstick. But it's a hilariously fun episode. Very, very different than Dave Christ, which was very different than Chris Callahan. And that's what I love about this show. That's what I love. Is every time it's going to be a different conversation and it's always going to be tied to punk. Perfect. Thank you everyone for listening. Thank you to Vans very much. Thank you to my brother, Tristan Abraham, producer of the show, and basically the guy carrying the show at this point a lot. Thank you to Kim and Brian. Uh, thank you to you for listening. Thank you to Chris. Thank you to Brendan for next week. Thank you to uh, uh, Jeff and Nathan for putting this TV show together that I'm working on right now. Thank you to my wife and kids for understanding how busy work has made me this summer. And unfortunately, I've had to travel a lot. Thank you to uh, Pizza. Thank you to uh, Records. Thank you to – I could go on forever. Hey, thank you for listening. I'll see you next week. Love you. Stay safe. Go out there and make your own culture because anyone can do this. Bye.